Welcome everybody to Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Broken Skull Sessions on Tap Out Talk. And today, we're going to excellently execute. And on that note, you know it must be today's episode of the Broken Skull Sessions featured guest. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. The one, the only, Brett, the Hitman Hart, featured on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. If you guys are first-time viewers, and if you're returning viewers, you know how this works. This is the podcast of the podcast. We break down an hour-and-a-half-long show, all in less than 30 minutes. And we talk about all the highlights and the delights. And if that's enough to get you the idea of what's going on here, that's great. If it piques your interest and you want to hear more, you can go on right over the WWE Network and watch the full thing in length and hear more. So let's, by all further ado, let's go ahead and hit the glass. So in the beginning, we get an opening between the two. Standard greeting between Brett and... Stone Cold, and you know, I love the fact that Stone Cold on these episodes always has somebody that's tied to his career pretty heavily in his development, and they get to relive some old moments, and that's what we're going to do here in a moment. But um, they start out, they shake hands, just as most of them do. They make a little small talk. They discuss Brett coming back from vacation, um, being over in Hawaii. Brett mentioned it rained the entire time, and it was completely miserable. And then he says, but it beats the freezing cold of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, where he's used to growing up. So any kind of warmth is great at this point in life. Austin brings up the fact that they are both two grizzled warriors now. Austin tells Brett that he always looked up to him and that he was a half a generation behind him. Um, Austin then goes on and kind of tells the story of Brett showing up late with a flat tire. And while he was in the main event, Austin went out and fixed his flat tire for him as a respect for the veteran. Um, in the industry. So I thought that was kind of a fun, you know, Austin um, paying his dues a little bit to some of the main, you know, staff and the main eventers, um, which you don't hear a lot of those stories, but this does make no mistake about it happened in the wrestling industry. You have to do the things for the guys that paved the path for you. And that's just a great example of Austin, you know, showing that he respected Brett. Brett then tells a story of how he pushed for Vince to sign Steve Austin when he went to ECW. Uh, He knew Austin was going to be one of the best around, and the WWE always said they wanted new talent, and Austin was sitting right there basically waiting to be scooped up. So, you know, he talked to Vince, and he said, hey, Vince, you ought to look at this guy. Uh, He's just sitting there waiting to be had, and, you know, he's got some real ability. So, you know, then they uh, brought him up, and as we kind of know, the rest is history, and Austin went on to become one of the greatest of all time in the ring, so... Um, From there, they want to get into the main event of the topic. The topic that associates with Bret Hart everywhere he goes, and that is none other than the Montreal Screwjob. So in this, Austin wants to start uh, this session with the Montreal Screwjob, and he wants just to get it out of the way, right? So Austin says that he doesn't remember who he worked with that night, as everything happened just kind of blew him away about the industry. He was in shock, and he says Mick Foley quit over the Montreal screw job. He says that the boys in the back were all in disarray, and he says he's never had a chance to talk to Brett about it face-to-face, so he wants to know, you know, kind of what was the real deal and what happened. Um, Brett basically goes into record and says there was just a lot of dishonesty in the WWE at the time, 
and he said that Vince told him that he couldn't afford the contract anymore, uh, as Brett has mentioned in the past, and Vince was even willing to help Brett negotiate a deal with WCW if needed. Um, His lawyers then told him not to let Vince do that. Brett says the real story is that they were in San Jose when he found out that he was working the Montreal with none other than the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Uh, Shawn thanked Brett for the match that they had that night in San Jose. Shawn was the ref, of course. And Brett told Shawn that he knew they were working in Montreal. And he offered to put Shawn over anytime as a way to broker peace between these two. Um, and Shawn's, you know, Brett looked at it as a, you know, extending the olive branch, so to speak, because these two have always never got along, really. Uh, Shawn looked right at Brett and he said he appreciated it, but he won't do the same for him. It really rubbed Brett the wrong way. And he, you know, kind of looked like he got slapped in the face a little bit there. Uh, the next day, Vince tells him that Sean is going to win the title, but Brett was told he could leave any way he wanted. So he had creative control over his last 60 days in, in WWE per his contract. Um, when they kind of talked about it, Austin asked him if it was personal or if he worked himself kind of into a shoot. And he brings up how he refused to put over Brock in any unadvertised match. And it was the wrong way to handle business. And in his head, he worked himself into a shoot, right? So he basically kind of worked himself into a real-life situation, which was supposed to be a program. Brett says it was an honor. It was about an honor thing with him. And he laid out to Vince what Sean said. And Vince then wanted to get Sean involved so Brett can tell the same story, you know. And then uh, after a few hours, they bring Sean back. And Vince ignores what Brett said and leads off with Sean. We are going to put the belt on you. Brett said he didn't agree to that, and he didn't uh, see Sean again until Montreal. So it's kind of weird because uh, Vince, in a weird way, kind of stirred this up a little bit between these guys. Um, Brett told Vince that he didn't want to go up to WCW until the night before the show, and Vince laid out Vince laid out um, that Brett would be jobbing to Sean in every match possible if he stayed and that was when Brett knew he just needed to leave and go on to WCW. So, you know, Austin kind of brings up at this point, the fact that, you know, Vince was probably just trading in for a younger horse and Brett just wanted to prove to Vince that he was worth the money that, you know, and says that it bothers him to people to think that he refused to do business. You know, he feels any wrestler who's valued their worth would have done the same thing. Um, Brett looks at himself as, you know, having standards. Vince then lays out again how Sean will win and Brett says it won't happen. And he offered to drop the title to anyone else or even Sean the following night on raw uh, to Sean, you know, for him to put him over would be a huge to try to put him over in Canada in Brett's home area. So um, from here, you know, it's interesting, right? Because I kept uh, during this podcast thinking of wrestling with shadows, which is an independent documentary about the Montreal Screwjob. If you guys have not watched it, I highly recommend you guys give it a watch. It is the unbiased version of it, and it's not a WWE production, so you're getting the real deal with some behind-the-scene footage um, from that show of what was supposed to happen that night and so how the story really unfolded. Um, from here, they show footage of their match between Brett and Sean. And, you know, as Steve and Brett talk about it, and he says, I always love when they do that. You know, he's basically, they, he loves to do that on this show. Um, so they show the footage, they talk through it. Austin kind of likes that. It kind of gives them something to relive. Um, Brett says he was heading to the ring and thinking um, it was a schmoz, right? And then he said, uh, he says, Sean was quiet, 
chummy with him. And Brett's goal was to deliver a great match. He just wanted to leave out with his head held high. He brings up to talking to Earl in Detroit, uh, the referee Earl Ebner, and swore on his, Earl swore on his kids that he would never screw Brett. Um, when he saw Earl was the ref, he felt like everything was good. He talks about Pat Patterson coming up to him, and he doesn't think Pat was in on it, honestly. Um, it, but it was Pat who came up with him to do the sharpshooter spot, which put it into place for the screw job count to happen. He says that he knows Earl was in a rough spot, and he never blamed him and admits that he may have done the same thing. So the match overall was a fantastic brawl. They went through the crowd, um, and Brett says that all went to plan. And he goes, and then we from there see the uh, spot with the sharpshooter, and Earl calls for the bell while Vince does the same thing on the outside of the ring, where Vince McMahon always never sat ringside unless he was commentating back in you know the 80s and 90s. But um, the reality is Vince was out there for a purpose to make sure things went to his part. Austin brings up Sean and says that, you know, Austin brings up that Sean says he wasn't ever a part of it, but clearly he was. Um, we see Brett spit in Vince McMahon's face at this footage and then trace WCW in the air. Um, Brett was fuming and Vince was out there to kind of get Sean out of the ring and get all the fury of Brett to him. Brett then talks about working for 14 years and never, he never complained about anything. He's like, I was a good soldier basically. And I followed the WWE, did everything that was best for business. And then as they continue on, they get more into the Brett and Vince McMahon, you know, side of all this story. And they get to the dressing room with The Undertaker, Bulldog, Brett, Rick Rude, and Owen Hart. So basically all of the Hart Foundation, their whole family, right, with The Undertaker. Austin says The Taker screamed, fuck it, and goes to get Vince to get this settled. He goes, we're going to get Vince to get this settled because he was just heated about everything that happened because Undertaker is kind of that locker room leader. Brett says The Taker kicked over a garbage can and other wrestlers were breaking things in the back. Brett thought it was weird that Sean was changing in Brett's dressing room and Sean swore he wasn't part of it. He thinks Sean was scared for his life, honestly. Brett says he calmed down and he took a shower. And while they were there, he was told that Vince McMahon was waiting outside. Um, Brett told Rick Rude to tell Vince to leave and that it was over and nothing good would come from it. As Brett came out of the shower in the room, Vince was with Sergeant Slaughter And also the undertaker was standing there watching while Sean was in the corner crying. He said, Brett had rude Owen, Neidhart and bulldog all by his side. So three of his brothers or his brother and his two brother-in-laws. He had the idea to rush Vince, but knew um, he was naked and it was probably wouldn't look really good. He mentions to Vince and he says that this was the first time that he ever had to lie to him. And Brett called him out on that. He knows the Taker. Uh, he knows Taker went and got Vince to settle this thing down. So um, Undertaker really went and grabbed Vince from what I heard by the collar and kind of dragged him into the locker room and said, "You're going to make it right with Brett." And that was again him being kind of the one of the boys. Um, Brett thinks that Vince just wanted to stand up to him in front of the boys, and that was a mistake. He told Vince that he was going to knock him out if he was there when he still finally got dressed. He tied his shoes. He stood up. They walked towards each other, and they actually tied up almost like in a wrestling-type match. Um, Brett was like, okay, we're doing this. He gave him all the fair chances, and he was so mad. He talks about how it looked like an episode of Raw where they just jostled each other. 
and with each other in the, in the announcer desk. And, um, and he said, Brett didn't want it to be like that, but he felt like he had to get a good shot in. He didn't think he could get off with an overhand punch. So he dropped his hand, uh, to his shoe and delivered an uppercut. He only, um, hit Vince one time and it caused him to break a bone in his hand and it knocked Vince out cold and stunned everyone that was in the room, including Brett. Um, he would have done anything for this man, and now he was laying him out cold on the floor. He says he did kick um, out the documentary crew for that Walking with Shadows, which was happened to be there filming on for Brett's behalf. Um, but he hoped that they could get something that would, you know, basically show how groggy Vince was um, being helped out of the room. Um, from that point, Sean left the room, according to Brett, with Brett's crew, and he was crying in his hands. Brett walked over to Sean and thanked him for the match and shook hands. He remembers thinking he should have kicked him in the face, but Austin calls it the manualist thing he could do was to shake his hand. Brett thought it was the right thing to do since Sean said that he had nothing to do with it. And then Sean buried him the following night on Monday Night Raw, um, and he knew he was in on it. So um, that was also, you know, kind of Sean doing probably what he was told to really just make a mockery of it. And now that, you know, Brett was gone for good. Uh, they showed part of Sean's promo as he takes credit for sending Brett South with all the other old age dinosaurs. And then um, Austin then at this point asked Brett, you know, where his relationship is with Vince McMahon now. And Brett says that it's a good relationship. Um, he says he will never get over what happened to him, but part of him forgives Vince because of everything he accomplished in WWE. But I also know there's a big part of him that will never trust Vince McMahon again. So it's probably as good as it's going to get at this point. Um, Austin brings up that Brett was the first guy to lay a hand on Vince as we see the episode of Raw where he shoved Vince on, on his ass after a cage match and goes on a curse-filled tirade. It was a great moment, but I honestly believe Vince took a chair shot during the Flair Piper fight on Superstars. Um, Brett says that he was told to stay uh, to say whatever he wanted and he could just go off. They were going to bleep anything, he said, and it was just for basically the house. He said to get back and they asked what was he going to basically what was he going to be doing? And uh, he reminded them they told him to do it. Um, they agreed. And that's why he didn't get any trouble for anything. And he tore up the whole set and was yelling and screaming and in a way that was getting kind of his frustrations out, uh, which was good for TV. Right. Unfortunately, it did turn into a real thing. You know, I was thinking at first uh, when they started out this segment with the Montreal screw job on this broken skull session, uh, you know, because that's usually a main event topic. But the more I think about it, I like that Austin got this up and kind of out of the way in the beginning because, one, it's a hook. It gets you drawn in. But you really don't want to end a note on a, a really sad tale that happened in the day wrestling got real. So, um, you know, Brett's told this story a, a bunch of times. Everybody asked. But here it was again with just a brief version. From there, we then get into a little bit of uh, the post-Screwjob era with the WCW career of Brett the Hitman Hart. And while it was a shorter career, um, you know, we move into the WCW and Austin says, you know, he could tell they had no idea what to do with him. Brett says that Austin told him that before he even went to WCW. And Brett says that he had so much heat coming into the company from beating Steve and Taker and not losing to Sean while also knocking out Vince. He says he should have done a huge program with Hulk Hogan on day one and had him tapping out to the sharpshooter. 
I get where Brett is coming from, but WCW had to finish out the Sting Hogan program at the same exact time. So Brett was just coming in at an awkward time. Um, and now Brett beating Hogan and then moving to Sting while the NWO tries to play them off on each other also may have worked. Um, I almost would have held off on Bret Hart's debut. WCW sometimes did their hot shot booking where they just brought guys in because they could have them. I almost would have finished off the feud with Sting and um, you know Hogan that's been built for years. And then I would have uh, got Bret right there in that title chase or at least that main event with Hogan and kind of let him go at it. And I think that would have been a great program to watch. So I do agree with these guys in saying that. Um, from there, they kind of transition out pretty quick and they go over to the next piece, which is Hitman's character. And when I say Hitman's character, I'm saying, um, the actual, the Hitman, right? Brett, the Hitman heart character. Austin wants to know, um, the Hitman character and what it's really all about. Brett says he's been the Hitman since he was four years old. He became a fan of wrestling that early and he studied wrestling due to his legendary father, Stu Hart. Um, he had to grasp, he had a very big grasp of the business early on as he could. And he thinks the fans loved him because he was so different than Hawk Hogan. He was the guy that loved to tell stories in the ring. It came across as real and genuine because Brett's life was wrestling and it was real and genuine. He felt people loved and he had a very believable style in his matches. And Austin says that Brett's was believable and he had the ability to sell so well. Everything Brett did was so precise and had the ability to look like he was in a real fight. Brett says the best wrestlers were wrestling fans first. He says, I always believe that. And I truly believe that myself. I do believe some of the best wrestlers were always wrestling fans at heart because they have a passion and a true heart for the business that they can put into play. And they have so much knowledge and material from years of watching. He would put himself in the shoes of the fans and he would do what he felt like he would like to watch. So he kind of became that character early on, but it just evolved. And um, it evolved from there from him being the, the excellence of execution. From this point, we get into some of the classic opponents over the Bret Hart career. And I like that they kind of steered this way because we want to celebrate Bret's successes. So Bret talks about classic matches, you know, that they had. And there are ones that people will talk about for years and years later, and they still hold up. He brings up his match with Rowdy Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 7. He brings up his match also with the British Bulldog at SummerSlam and Mania with Austin and then also um, Owen Hart. So, you know, as they kind of go in, um, you know, those all were classic matches. I remember um, some of the Bret Hart, Davy Boy Smith matches. You know, those were fun to watch. And then Austin and Hart, um, those were, again, just matches that honestly helped make Austin and Austin 316 in that whole world. Um Austin brings up their match at Survivor Series in 96. And before the match, they worked a few times over the house shows in Texas. Brett saw Austin work a match with Sean, and he loved it. He told Austin that they could have a match anytime, and Brett says that he knew that, you know, he could do great stuff with him. Back to the Survivor Series 96 match, and it's just fantastic. They show highlights as they talk about the match, and I just, you know, Basically, you know, they go and I want to see more of this kind of stuff in these interviews because it's great to see this, you know, analysis of both guys involved. Um, the finish sees Austin going back to his roots with the Million Dollar Dream um, when he was known as the Ringmaster. And Brett uh, kicks off the buckles and rolls up backwards in a reverse somersault for a pin, pinning Austin's shoulders down. It was basically the same finish that he had to uh, Brett's match with uh, Roddy Roddy Piper. 
Austin laughs and that he could see Brett's reaction as he was blown up. And Brett, um, again, laughs as it was his first match in seven months. But Brett calls it a four-star match. Um, you know, they go a little bit further and they talk a little bit about wrestling with Owen. Um, and in Owen Hart, you know, it was interesting to be able to have these, you know, classic matches with Owen. And it was, to my opinion, it was still one of the greatest WrestleMania opening matches of all time. It was the first match on the WrestleMania 10 card. From there, continuing talking about, you know, Austin, we get into WrestleMania 13. This was the match that made Stone Cold Steve Austin, crimson mask and all. Uh, This was the iconic image of Austin bleeding and not tapping out to Brett. And Austin never lost that match, but Brett technically won. When they moved there, um, it was one of the greatest matches in professional wrestling history. The match was going to have a double turn, basically. Brett says that Vince called him and told him that he was going to talk to about him about turning him heel. Brett went into this match as a as a babyface, and he was kind of a heel by the end of the match. And Austin went into it as a heel and flipped into a babyface by the end of this match. It was pure genius. Brett didn't want to turn heel because he would be losing all merchandise money. But Vince promised Brett he could talk to him, uh, that, and that he could talk him into it in five minutes, basically. Uh, he showed Brett a list of five guys that he'd be able to work with as a heel and five guys as a babyface, and the prospects of who he could work with as a heel definitely intrigued him more. Um, Austin then tells a story of sitting at home with a busted knee and hearing on WWE program that he was going to be um, that he was going to be a submission match, and he was pissed because he wasn't a submission style wrestler. Brett says he felt it was um, too early for another match as they felt they should, you know, have had another match with each other around SummerSlam. He was told um, in August that it was going to be him and Sean at Mania 13, but Sean had his whole lost his smile moment, um, wanting to avoid Brett because, again, they had issues. And Brett still isn't sure if it was just an injury or if it was legit, but he kind of believed it was. Vince told him, it was um, obvious to do with him and Sean. Instead, it would be Taker, Sid for the WWE title. Brett felt it was too soon to do something with Austin again. Well, Austin was one is the one that told Brett that he was turning heel that night. They met with Vince and kind of mapped out the finish to the match. Austin wasn't sure if he was going to work um, and double get double checked with the Vince swore it would work kind of moment. Um, They talked about the match, and Brett said that if Austin was going to be passing out, that he needed to bleed. Austin agreed, and he said that Brett told him he would help him get color, as they call it in wrestling sometimes. They call getting bleeding getting color at the time when nobody got color, so it made it even more special. They were given permission to fight in the crowd, and at this point, you know, um, Ken Shamrock from the UFC days, who would later go on to have a wrestling career, was special guest enforcer and referee in this match. And he was there as the bodyguard to kind of protect them both. And that um, made sense. Brett talked about it being a submission match and how the only one um, that he had was with Bob Backlund and calls it the worst match of his career. He says, no offense to Bob, but submission matches are hard and they suck. And he said, Brett kept relating to it to a high school fight. And that's how he pictured it in his head. Brett says their match emulates any good UFC fight as it seemed real enough. And he says that the ball shot Austin uh, gave him was great and no one of the ones that Ric Flair gives. Ooh, he burned him on that one. But uh, he said definitely, you know, it was a great shot. Uh, We get some video from the match and 
once I'm done here, I'm going to basically go look at this again. But he said, just a tremendous match overall and easily one of the greatest of all time. Brett loves that the fans were still cheering for him as he walked out and admits that he was thinking that the match wasn't going to be as great as it was. Austin put over Shamrock for bringing out a lot of star power um, over and doing a really great job of just not overshadowing them, considering he was such a big UFC star at the time. He was perfect in his role, and he just let them beat the hell out of each other. They discussed the various spots in the match. Austin laughs, taking a drink from um, a fan's Coke and grabbing it from the stadium. Um, there was also so much great insight to these two as they talked about this match in this program. Um, they talk about setting the table up for things. They would happen later in the match. Brett laughs that he is a good guy in this match, even though he's using a chair and anything else he can. But I think it just showed the hitman's desperation to beat Austin at this point and kind of give Austin, you know, the raise. Um, they then are setting up the story in place. Austin fires up and he destroys bet with a chair to, you know, a monster face reaction. We get Austin hitting his head on the barricade in that chaos. Brett then, um, gigs Austin just a few inches away from the fans without anyone noticing. And Austin says he saw blood flowing and he knew it was a gold mine. We see the ball shot from Austin and it was glorious. Austin marks out all over the blood in the canvas and he watches it, which is fantastic. Austin apologizes for some of the snug shots he gave uh, Hitman during the match. And they get into the sharpshooter spot and it was an iconic image of blood pouring out of Austin's head and it was just amazing. It'll always be burned in the minds of fans. Austin talks about how he had to sell the hold and didn't want to take too long to disrespect um, Hart's signature hold. Austin says it was an iconic image and he thanks Brett for that moment. Austin rises up before passing out and concluding that amazing piece of business. Brett cements his heel turn by attacking Austin after the match and forcing Shamrock to pull him off. Brett then backs away from Shamrock to show that he was not a, now a coward. Brett says in, the, in his mind and all this, um, it did was give Austin what he deserved after what he did to him for the last four months. We see Brett walking out with fans, giving them the finger. Austin calls an audible as he told um, Vince that he needed to hit someone with a stunner because his character didn't trust anyone, and that's why Kyoto ate the stunner. So the referee, the other referee ate the stunner during this match. Um, go back and watch this match if you guys haven't seen it. WrestleMania 13, Austin versus the Hitman. Um, one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. From there, we get a little bit into uh, some of those other iconic matches. We talk about the British Bulldog, and these two had an iconic match at SummerSlam in 92. They talk about losing a match and having it make your career. This match, Brett did lose in the main event of Wembley Stadium to the British Bulldog, and it wasn't even for the title. Uh, the Bulldog was the Intercontinental title at that time, or excuse me, Brett was, and then um, Brett feels like he made losing the match with SummerSlam with the Bulldog. Um, Austin says that he lost both those matches and Brett still got over. He said he was so satisfied laying there in, with, um, in that blood knowing that they accomplished their goal. Brett calls the match perfect and says it was one of the easiest matches he ever had. He felt great the next morning. They discussed um, they never had issues with each other and always had to have a trust with each other in the match. Um, Austin mentions that he never won a match against Brett, but you know, he isn't mad as it helped make his career. 
They also get into a little bit of talk with Owen. So Austin brings up the Owen match that they had at SummerSlam again. Um, and it's the steel cage match in 97. Austin says that they were having a great match. And when he gets dropped on his head due to a slight miscalculation, Austin wasn't scared and it wasn't, you know, was trying to stay calm. Uh, he knew he wasn't going to lose the stipulation that he had to kiss Owen's ass. Um, so we get a little bit of a called for a roll up. Um, Owen's, uh, the worst one of the history. And, um, he says that the match changed from a technical wrestler brawler to really create what stone called was Brett then talks about Owen backing off and giving Austin time to figure things out. And Brett says, uh, what you should do in that situation. Brett. And then of course talks a little bit about Owen's legacy to be, you know, the idea of being in the hall of fame, but Brett knows Owen would want to be honored and, that's where they leave the topic really. Um, so it's interesting, right? I remember this uh, match and they're talking also about Brett and Owen in the steel cage match. And I remember when he took a suplex with Owen off the top of the steel cage. And I remember Brett saying he felt the need to protect his brother from the fall. And ironically, you know, of course his career in life ended tragically from a fall in a wrestling ring. Um, but he said he felt the need to like really protect his brother and, you know, he did everything and that's, you know, was the only thing on his mind when he was dropping. It wasn't even his own, you know, health. Um, Brett prides himself, if you guys don't know, Brett prides himself on never, ever injuring another wrestler in his entire career. So that's huge for Brett. And that's something he's very proud of in his career. He's like, I've never injured anybody in all my years of working. Austin, um, he brings up a 10-man tag match um, at Spring Stampede. And the heat that they got for that match, Owen wins the match for his team with a roll-up of Austin. Uh, what's sad is that Brett is the only one from his team that was actually that's actually still alive today, and that is just tragic. Brett talks about the moment and the moment that uh, they won the title at WrestleMania 10, and he was carried around in the ring, and he thanked Vince for giving him those moments, and he loves the matches that he did in the 90s, and he thinks the matches in the 90s are better than any other period. We get into the legacy of Bret Hart. Um, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And I feel like that's how Bret valued his career and wanted to see his career. Bret says that he wants to be remembered for being that. He could never, again, he never injured anyone, but at the same time, he could be stiff enough to make things believable. He was taught by guys in Japan how to execute without hurting anybody. He um, was taught to be a total pro and... He would hurt himself before he got another person hurt. At this point, you could tell it kind of bothered Brett that his career was ended by an injury. He goes off a little bit on Bill Goldberg um, and is annoyed that he's in the Hall of Fame because he hurt everyone he worked with. He calls him unprofessional, dangerous, and a gorilla to work with. He talks about how banged up Haney was doing matches with Goldberg. Uh, Brett told Goldberg before Starcade match that to not go crazy and not hurt him and then they show the kick that basically ended Brett's career. And um, Austin says that it was hard to watch, that he knows Brett is proud that he never hurt anybody. And Austin um, knows, you know, he can't say the same. So it's a shame because, um, you know, this point in time in this match, um, I remember this ended Brett's career and Brett kind of did a spiral from there. And then at, also during that point after that, you know, Owen soon passed. And so this was like tough, challenging times for Brett. It was sad to see Brett's career get ended. Um, by a guy that, you know, was unsafe in that sense. So 
also kind of talking that uh, faithful kick, you know, all he really remembers is he was in the ring, Goldberg whipped him to the ropes, and he, and he hears something like, watch the kick, but by then the kick was right in his face. So Brett kind of goes on, and um, you could tell he's a little angered by his career ending on that. He said Bill um, has apologized over and over again, and Brett's, you know, forgiven him enough, but, you know, he still can't help but, you know, kind of be a little resentful of it. So we get to the bottom line. They start wrapping up with some footage from Kuwait where Austin is trying to make um, the Brett break character. It's fun stuff. Austin says that he's never been able to drink beer in the ring with Brett. So they do it here on the show as we end up closing. And this was amazing and easily one of my favorite episodes of the series so far. Um, I feel like there was a lot of stuff I already knew in this podcast. Um, but that's because I've read Brett Hart's autobiography that I have on my shelf. It's called Hitman, My Real Life in the Cartoon Cartoon World of Wrestling. And what I like about this autobiography compared to a lot of others is it's not produced by the WWE or edited. This is an independent book that Bret Hart wrote coming in about mm, 550 pages. Um, So it is a long read. Uh, You feel like after you're done from his childhood all the way to his ultimate retiring, um, you get every aspect that is unedited and unbiased from the WWE of how Brett really felt about his career. And I think it just clearly wraps up everything. So I felt like we got the mini version of this in the podcast. Um, but I feel like if you guys really want more, you know, go check out that book. Um, you could probably get it on, you know, online for about six, seven bucks at this point now, but um, it's definitely, you know, a good read and probably one of my favorite autobiographies. So the bottom line of this show, you know, we get a lot of highlights and delights. It was uh, definitely good to revisit the Montreal Screwjob, but honestly, I would go watch Wrestling with Shadows if you really want to watch something that explains that in detail. And if you really want to know about Brett and you're into reading, check out his book. But um, this show definitely, I love the scenes of the footage, and I love Brett and Austin talking behind the scenes about what happened. But at the end of the day, um, you could, you know, even though I enjoy this, you know, and I, and Brett's one of you know my wrestlers that I enjoyed of all time. Um, this is maybe a missable one. If you wanted to see it, it's not bad. So if you haven't seen all this other Bret Hart stuff, then, you know, give this one a look out. They do a good enough job on the production. So hopefully that helps. And we're going to go ahead and get out of here for the day, but this has been the bottom line and the stone cold, Steve Austin broken session. Guys, I just want to say thanks for watching. Like, share, subscribe. It helps out the channel. And for now, it's game over.